0: What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Awakened Catholic Show. I am your host, Nick Delatory. Today I have the honor of interviewing the author of Real Presence. What does it mean and why does it matter? Mr. Timothy P. O'Malley. Uh, he's a professor at Notre Dame and an author. That, I think this is his seventh book. Uh, this is an awesome book. I loved this book. Super excited to dive into conversation today with Tim. O'Malley, uh, Timothy P. O'Malley, that is. And uh, just a reminder this is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show. It's all coming up right after this. Welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show, everyone. I am your host, Nick De La Torre. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that if you want to support this show and get access to exclusive benefits, including a daily scripture reflection daily, daily, script, daily scripture reflection by yours truly, then visit TheAwakenedCatholicShow.com and join the community of saints. Uh, and You get all kinds of exclusive perks, and you get to join me daily for prayer and scripture reflection. Like I said, guys, for the general uh, Awakened Catholic capital campaign— Called Kickstart the Mission Campaign. We are 50% to our goal. We're actually over 50% to our goal. Super excited about that. Make sure to visit visit awakencatholic.org to learn more about our campaign. You can partner with us. You can join a patron community for one or several of the shows like mine. And like I just told you, you can visit the Awakened Show.com to join my patron community. Also make sure to check out our app. Uh, theawakenapp.io or, sort, or search for it in your uh, app store of choice, the Apple App Store, Google Play Store, um, and just from a web browser, theawakenapp.io. It's a great and growing community, uh, people all over the world who want to grow closer to the Lord and closer in community, um, sharing thoughts, sharing life. There's a prayer library, a music library. There's all kinds of stuff. Literally, it just goes on for days. I don't know about that, but there's a whole lot. And so make sure to check out theawakenapp.io. Without further ado, Mr. Timothy P. O'Malley, welcome to The Awaken Catholic Show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I am, I'm thrilled. Uh, I was sharing with you before we started. It, it, I love the Eucharist. I love Jesus. So, you know, I love the Eucharist because it is Him. Uh, and I, I rarely read though, uh, stuff that is as thought for, uh, thought provoking to me about the Eucharist, uh, from a, a theological and, and philosophical standpoint. It, it just got me, you know, excited all over again to learn new things. Um, uh, and it's not to say that you created new things about the Eucharist, because then that would very likely be heresy. This is not that, though. This is just really cool uh, perspectives and insights into um, the Eucharist for reflection and for uh, you know edifying your own spirituality, your own relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. Uh, so I'm really excited to to talk more about your book and and your process uh, as you went into this. Uh, but before we do that, Tim, I just I just want to learn about you, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everyone does in the end, including my (laughs) spouse. I do. I'm trying to figure out who I am. Brilliant. Yeah. uh, No, yeah, I'm Tim O'Malley. I work at Notre Dame. I do things in like digital education. I grew up in East Tennessee, so I'm not a native of the Midwest. The Midwest is very flat and very (laughs) cold, things that I don't desire out of life. But I grew up in Knoxville area. It was pretty uh, nominally Catholic. I mean, there weren't very few Catholics there. Under 2%, but I was a nerd. So uh, I would read the catechism on the bus on the way to school and discovered like, oh, I actually kind of like theology. And so I went to the University of Notre Dame where I did like theology and philosophy, but I fell in love particularly with liturgical theology or sacramental theology and then went on to get a doctorate. Because a lot of self, self-hatred, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted a doctorate and wanted to sort of destroy myself. So I did that. Uh, I, I actually studied at Boston College, so lived in the, the Northeast for a while. And then uh, just, uh, you know, 11 years ago, I moved back to Notre Dame where, I'm, where I teach and do research. I got two kids, eight and four. And my beloved wife, Kara, uh, we live in the South Bend area. Uh, it's a great place to live and grow up. For the kids i'm i guess i'm still growing up
0: aren't we all aren't we all yeah yeah so so you grew up in an area that was nominally catholic uh what kind of drew you initially to the uh, rita did you say you were reading the catechism on the school bus i mean what that's not yeah. like the average practice for school bus riders
1: yeah i, I wanted to be very unpopular i <laughs> uh, was cultivating no um I, so what drew it, it, you know, youth ministry in Knoxville, Tennessee was extraordinary. And so our, our, our youth ministry was like 75 or 80 kids at our parish. We'd get together, we'd study together, pray together. My diocese went to a monastery every year where we did classes in theology and philosophy. Well, at the same time, we prayed with the monks and did other fun things. So I think for a lot of it, for me, was uh, j- just uh, a culture of those who did take their faith rather seriously intellectually and, and such. And so I jumped into the catechism because it was recommended to start reading it. And that's actually where I fell in love, not so much with the catechism, which I do love, but with those footnotes, right? So I was like, oh, Dustin, mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila, who are these yeah. people? I want to know more about them.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. So you were, that was high school for you.
1: Yeah, it was early high school when I listened to a lot of early 90s country music uh on the bus on the the sort of back roads of east tennessee
0: what a grace that would have been i mean i uh i remember being on the bus in high school and that was that theology is not what was on my mind (laughs) um i was probably you know in the heat of uh you know, a a reaction to the changes that had happened for me hormonally and, uh, the changes that were happening in all those around me hormonally, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so that's where my head was probably at that. And, you know, what's the latest cool rock music or something? Um, well, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, when you look back, like why, (laughs) I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine being in that headspace. Like, let me pick up a catechism. Like, even if you were curious, you know, like the I don't know. It's just it's amazing. Like your youth ministry program must have been incredible. I guess from what you're describing. Oh, it was.
1: Yeah, it was also. You know, you grew up in the south, so religion was part of the environment. I mean, we we all were looking at each other too. Uh, You know, there was there was romance in the air, but (laughs) um, we were. uh, I, I think it was just a culture that was okay to to talk about religious things and read religious things. Mm. See, Catholic was already kind of weird, so to go one step further and be, you know, sort of read the catechism and think about stuff wasn't too weird, or at least weirder than what other people were doing, right? So everybody was reading their devotionals or, you know, going to church or school earlier to go to church to talk about the Bible. So so it was kind of in the air. Uh, It's one of the gifts, I think, of the South is that there is still this kind of evangelical zeal in the air, uh, Catholic or not Catholic.
0: That is that is super cool, uh, and definitely not what I grew up with, so very, very interesting. And then, um, so you, you had an effect, you were part of an effective youth ministry program. You started getting really uh, interested in theology as you were reading uh, the catechism and the annotations and discovering, oh, this is from this saint or whatever. Um, w- so some of that can be uh, uh, on the more intellectual side. Um, was there a point in your life where, like— your heart, like, where you encountered the person of Jesus in a pretty uh, profound way that—does does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, it was always together. I think
1: it was one of the gifts of being at—so, you know, it was one of the gifts of doing, like, monastic things. So, you know, to encounter Christ is made manifest in the scriptures, in the Psalms, in getting up early in the morning and praying. When I went to Notre Dame, here I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I found a, a, a ritual, a regiment that united the intellectual and the spiritual life together. You know, daily mass and regular participation in the Eucharist, which formed me to see the presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, to see him as my as someone I entered into communion with. Uh, we, we used to, I spent three years in the undergrad seminary i wasn't good at it i tell my undergrads because i was always wanting to date so i figured out that that was not i was bad at seminary but good at (laughs) dating and uh, but one of the things we did is we'd get up really super early to go do eucharistic adoration so i I met our lord in the blessed sacrament when i went to fisher hall chapel at two o'clock in the morning on a snowy day and there he was and so in some ways it wasn't like extreme moments of affect i'm irish i'm uh, i felt most at home in new england where people don't touch each other or smile but uh at the same time i think it was this ritual of prayer of entering into the life of prayer every day somewhat mundane uh, that actually taught me to look for jesus uh you know to encounter him in, in all these dimensions of my life
0: that's beautiful yeah and i i can uh uh, totally relate to what you're describing about the monastic, uh, influence or the influence that that can have on your life to live a monastic, you know, prayer routine or something like when I was in college, I hadn't, you know, my conversion experience. And, uh, for a brief time, I was very seriously discerning priesthood. And in that time I went on a discernment retreat with, uh, the monks in, uh, St. Meinrad seminary and living amongst them, Praying with them the way that they pray made such an impact on on me at such a deep level that it's it's kind of changed my whole spiritual disposition forever, uh, even though I never became a priest. Like, as, as a man, as a husband, as a father, like, I'll never be uh, the same. I'm better for it, uh, having been influenced by that. And, and it makes the faith so real and so deep. Uh, so I, I totally agree with you and can relate to that. Um. Before we move on, I want to uh, move on now to the Kerygma Speed Round. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. Who is Jesus to you?
1: Uh, Jesus is, th- this is going to sound, uh, again, overly intellectual, but the word made flesh, right? So that's everything. It's He is the one who became flesh. He took up everything that it means to be human. My life, your life, joys and sorrows. God became man and in that uh, he is therefore um, the Lord who understands my life.
0: I love it. That's beautiful. Question number two, what's your elevator pitch for a life with Jesus?
1: Uh, My elevator pitch is uh, that life is hard. So this is, again, sounds dark and terrible. This is where I'm an Irish Catholic person. Um, Life is hard and, we need to find meaning in our lives, right? And the meaning that we need to find in Catholicism became a person, right? The word became flesh, logos, the meaning. So not only is an abstract meaning proposed to us, but it's, it's a person to be in communion with who is the answer to all our needs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the pitch. I love that. It's a long elevator. It's a long elevator. You
0: get to choose the height. Uh, question yeah. number three, elevator pitch specifically for life with him as a Catholic.
1: Yeah, Catholicism is, the, is not a religion, as one of my favorite theologians said. It's all humanity united together around Jesus, right? Mm. So it's every man and woman invited. It's not just another religion. It's not a denomination. It's the invitation of all men and women into the peaceful union uh, of the Supper of the Lamb. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's all of us. Uh, whether we want you there or not, or whether you uh, invite us.
0: <laughs> That's great. I love that. Those are amazing answers. Beautiful. Okay. So now let's go back to your story. So you uh, fall in love with theology and learning and stuff. How do you, what What was then uh, what took you from that age range and where your passions were developing to kind of, uh, discerning the direction of your life as an academic and as a writer and a professor, like what, what is, uh, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So I then studied theology and philosophy at Notre Dame. In some ways, uh, the discernment was always communal. I had a professor who in my sophomore year said, you should do this in graduate school. Uh, and so I said, I, that's what I'll do. And a lot of like the early stuff was just, I'm a very practical person, right? So you need a job to pay for a house, which you're going to hopefully live in with people you love. Right. And so I sort of just said, all right, well, it's time to start doing this. And uh, I did love studying. I loved research. I loved writing, but in particular of interest to me became, well, how do you communicate this to various audiences? So I, I did a PhD in theology and education at Boston college which was a a degree that was designed to help me explain this stuff to people and to think about it with people and to think at the highest levels, but also so that you could explain it to someone in a parish. And I think that's where the big discernment came along to me is I wanted to be the kind of theologian that, yes, I could write articles that no one cares about in the normal world, but I also wanted to to somehow find a way to communicate that which was good, true, and beautiful to various audiences. I, I wanted to reveal the sophistication of Catholicism Uh, But I, I didn't want sophistication to mean impenetrability and how that often turns people off rather than invites them in.
0: Yes, totally agree with that. It's, it's so easy when we get excited about the things we're learning and the things that we want to help other people learn, uh, you know, information. It's so easy to get excited in our Catholic hot tub and just think to ourselves, doesn't it feel good to be right? You know, and then it's like it becomes this major barrier to entry for anyone else to enjoy the water with us. Uh, so I, I love uh, your your concern to, you know, handle things that way and to become that kind of theologian and writer. And it came across in this book, which I highly recommend everyone, but we'll get to the book shortly. Um, Cool. So, so now you're at Notre Dame. You told me you've been at Notre Dame for 11 years. Yep. That's, that's a lot of years. You don't even look old enough to, you know, have been working somewhere, somewhere 11 years. You look my age. I guess I I am old enough to have worked somewhere 11 years. Wow. I'm old.
1: (laughs) (laughs) sorry to awaken you to your own
0: mortality. Oh uh, gosh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, I I'm, I'm 40. I'm almost 40. Okay. Well, you you're a great 40. Yeah. Uh so in your time there, you have you written all 7 of your books while there at Notre Dame?
1: Yes, I have.
0: Yeah. So, okay. I am going to look up uh your your Amazon listings for all of these unless there's is there a better place you want us to look for your books?
1: No, I'm fine with that. I mean, uh you know, it's great cuz as long as it's not like my shopping cart.
0: No, I just, I wondered if you wanted to like promote the Notre Dame bookstore or something. I don't know. Oh,
1: right. Yeah, that's a good idea. But no, that's <laughs> fine. Amazon is
0: a much better algorithm. That's that's fair. Okay. Very good. Uh, so before we get to your book, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of contention recently uh, with you know, uh, president Biden's decision to pull us out of the 20 year war and all this stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of division happening in our country. Um, and it's just kind of, it's getting ugly. And, uh, of all things, uh, the administration recently declared that uh, on top of, you know, the, the exit from Afghanistan on top of this thing and that thing, the vaccines and whatever. Now they're trying to make it so that nobody can watch the Catholic weird stuff segment from the awakened Catholic show. And, you know, here at awakened Catholic, we're just like, we're going to put a stake in the ground and say, no, this is where we draw the line. You can't do that to us. So let's roll the thing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Awaken Catholic Show's Catholic Weird Stuff segment. Where today we're going to be exploring, as always, uh, a little, a little tidbit. You know, is that is that is that, thing, is that a thing people say, Colleen? A little, a little, a little nugget of of the church's glorified, beautiful vision of truth and uh, revelation of truth, rather. Um, and sometimes some of that stuff can be pretty weird. And that's what we're going to dive into today. Today, Mr. Timothy O'Malley, Professor Timothy O'Malley, author Timothy O'Malley, is going to be talking to us about the saints of the Black Death. Now, Professor, can I call you Professor? Uh,
1: absolutely. In fact, I demand it.
0: <laughs> um, there is a movie that I love called The Black Death. Have you seen it? I haven't. No. You should look into it. It is incredible and if you're going to take this conversation the direction I think you're going to I think you will love that movie so talk to us why Why are the saints of the Black Death uh, something worth talking about
1: yeah so during the the plague so the Black Death which lasted the Black Death which was really only like three to five years but the whole plague which was a 400 year phenomenon uh, there was a sort of intercessory prayer around some of the big saints uh, the, the church was terrified. We often think like, oh no, during COVID, it was the first time the church canceled stuff. Uh, <laughs> actually, stuff was canceled all the time during the Black Death. Uh, Lent was partially canceled. Carnival was canceled during plagues. Uh, but the saints were key. And there was all sorts of uh, intercessory uh, prayer to saints during the time. And, and law of the specific saints, uh, St. Saint Sebastian, who died uh, with arrows, was a saint of the Black Death, not because he had the plague, uh, but because er- the image for the plague were arrows. And so since he died by arrows, he would save us from the plague because he had arrows. Or St. Uh, Rock, or St. Roque, who had the, uh, had the plague and uh, apparently sort of was a great intercessor to heal us of our illness and, and bring people back together in communion. And then of course the Blessed Virgin Mary, So a lot of the images of the assumption that we have came about during the black death. So the black death was not just uh, a period of time of sickness, but it was like this reform and renewal time in the church where we had more saints come about, uh, a change of art uh, and particularly the way that saints were depicted, including Mary. Uh, Mary began to be depicted as a swooning mother who, who dealt with all this degree of suffering in her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot of our devotional life emerges from the black death. So, um. What next time you're in an art museum and you see 700 images of Saint Sebastian getting shot with arrows? Th- this is actually an image from the plague.
0: Yeah, yeah. That that is powerful. I mean, there's so many uh, interesting uh, witnesses to to the truth and to faith and to goodness uh, that came out of that whole time frame um, in, in the midst of a very dark and challenging time in history. And and that's, of course, when the church always thrives at its best is is in the face of terrible, terrible calamity, because it's when people realize, oh, you mean I'm not God and I need a God, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think as things are, you know, gosh, I know people right now that are like in, in the year 2021, like, oh, it's never been worse. Jesus is coming soon. And I'm like, it's never been worse really <laughs> you know yeah i uh, know and, and so yeah. i just i think that a lot of those examples like the ones you listed off it's just such a powerful um and convicting uh reminder of our own need for god but then are also like a call to arms too of like hey in a terrible situation what would you really do um and yeah and that's one of the things actually going back to the movie i brought up it's a fictitious story but based in the black plague scenario um where the people basically uh are i think that if it's been a few years since i've seen it but i think that the people throughout the land believe that the black plague is a plague as a result of witchcraft and um they end up kind of all turning to the witches or, or the witch that is kind of in charge or whatever uh for salvation from it and then you know there are these incredible and very powerful tear-jerking examples of martyrdom from these uh soldiers who were you know on uh on a journey to like take down this witch it's it's fictitious and it's uh very intense but the the depiction of being steadfast in the faith—it's um, it's really powerful um, and honestly inspiring. Uh, as challenging as some of the scenes are to watch, so definitely recommend that. Um, but yeah, thanks for bringing this topic to mind. Here, um, we should never never look at the times we're in right now and think like this is as bad as it's ever been. Like it's not. That's right. Yeah. If
1: it, if and if COVID lasts four hundred years, let's have a conversation. <laughs> And if it kills ninety five percent of your town. Otherwise, um, take a breath, mm-hmm. wait a little bit. I-, I promise the you know, uh whatever like fun sporting event that got cancelled, like you'll live.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and obviously, you know, there are some things that it's like well, um, you know, it sucks that a lot of people didn't get to walk for their graduation, but it could have sucked a lot more if you were around during the Black Plague and ninety-five percent of your class was dead. You know, so
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Okay, Tim, let's talk about your book, man. This is great. Let's do it. Uh, so, what um, we we recently? Uh, I did an interview with Deacon Harold uh, Burke Silver uh, or Sivers, and. Um, on that interview uh, he kind of he and I by the end of the episode we decided to declare an unofficial year of Eucharistic Renaissance and uh, this was just a few episodes ago and and I just got so excited when I think it might have been your publicist or someone that sent this book to us um, and I when I saw what this was about I was just like this is perfect (laughs) Um, so what inspired you to make the topic what it is in the real presence what uh, what does it mean and why does it matter
1: yeah. So what inspired me was my publisher told me to write it. So that was the first thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was a sort of a requirement, but um, no, I was interested in the topic. Uh, it, the inspiration comes from this Pew study that comes out uh, pretty regularly and says that most Catholics don't believe in the Eucharist mm-hmm. or Eucharistic presence of of Jesus. Now, um, there are problems with that study. In fact, problems, my, my institute at Notre Dame, we're going to be running a study with a group out of Georgetown that would actually analyze what Catholics believe about the Eucharist. We want to know sociologically exactly, but Mm -hmm. nonetheless, I'm a teacher. I have taught undergraduates for years. I know that they don't always know everything. So I wanted to offer them a kind of initiation or a possibility to understand the Eucharist in real presence in a way that they could understand it in a way that would answer the question of their life. What does it mean? And why does it matter? That was the, that's the subtitle. So what does it mean that Catholics believe in real presence and transubstantiation? And why does that belief not just a matter of weird philosophical mumbo jumbo, but actually has import on what it means to be uh, a, a human being in the 21st century?
0: Yeah, and and you actually talked about some of the concerns you had with the studies that have come out from Pew Research. Um, Early in the book, you mentioned that. Do you want to kind of articulate? Because those are numbers that get thrown around all the time, uh, whether in homilies or speakers or whatever. And I thought that your insight about what some of those concerns were made a lot of sense. Do you want to share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so first off, the language of the Pew study doesn't actually ask the precise doctrine of Catholicism to begin with so it kind of gets it wrong Mm -hmm. um, and it gives the wrong options on the other side second, um, belief in real presence and the capacity to articulate belief in real presence are different things so as I explain it all the time when I've been talking to people like why are our parishes often full of people who go to a place with terrible preaching and music that makes you want to sometimes like eliminate your sense of hearing um, the reason is, is because they believe something's there, right? So you need, we need a survey that puts, that allows people to put in their own language what they believe, right? So, so yeah. what do they believe? They may not know the doctrine, right? Uh, my grandmother didn't know the doctrine of real presence in any substantial way, but she was a regular mass. Uh, she would regularly attend mass and she knew that the host was Jesus. She couldn't have explained transubstantiation if you paid her a lot of money, but, Uh, So so I think we have to be very careful with taking a a survey like this and saying like, oh, so it's only 30% of Catholics believe in real presence. That's just not clear Mm -hmm. from the data itself.
0: That's super interesting. And it makes me think about, too, in other areas of our lives, there are things that we're perfectly okay not having a clue about the inner workings and just still making it a part of our life. Like, I am deeply in love with my wife, who is also my high school sweetheart. Like, I'm still freaking crazy about her i have no idea metaphysically the inner workings of the person like i i we know what the church tells us those of us who've looked into it and whatever but there's always that whatever amount that we might not understand until the beatific vision which is when we see god at the end of time and on on the last day and you know like i don't there are inner workings of of what who my wife is what she is that i do not have a clue about and i could not care less because I'm in love with her, and I think that there is something to be said about believing in Jesus, loving Jesus, even the Eucharistic Jesus, the one that is consecrated at Mass, and and there, you can believe in that and love it and not understand the metaphysical, the theological, and I think that that's something that is worth talking about because we just assume like you have to understand it to to you know to say that you believe it. I don't know if that's true.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I think the real problem, you know, I'm all for teaching Eucharistic doctrine. I literally do this with my life. <laughs> but, but if we suddenly perfectly taught the doctrine in every parish throughout the United States next year, we wouldn't suddenly have 90% increase of those who would go to weekly mass because the dilemma for affiliation or disaffiliation, belonging to the church or not belonging to the church, is a matter of love, right? Do you love? the one who's made present not only do you understand the mechanics or the or how he's made present uh, as much as i think that matters and in fact the more we believe that and understand it the more deeply we enter into the mystery in the same way that with your spouse right your yes. wife right like you, you know you you couldn't then say like oh well i love her she's a mystery i don't even have to ask her how her day was or <laughs> right like um there's no point in getting to know her more because she is to me love right uh, right right like you you would ask questions you would seek deeper understanding but nonetheless we should be careful with the data I want Catholics have to look like we know what we're talking about and so we we, we can't turn this Pew study into an idol, which I think is sometimes the the risk
0: yeah and I think that the other concern there with the verbiage of the Pew study which you're kind of uh, also pointing to here is the idea of believing it really becomes the body and blood of jesus like what does that sentence even mean right because you're highlighting in the book it doesn't physically become human jesus flesh and it doesn't physically become human blood or human jesus blood it becomes uh in its substance and it's uh in, in in what it is not not physically not the what's called the accidents um and so, like, if you're asking people, do you believe it's the real flesh and blood of Jesus Christ? And in their minds, they're thinking, well, it's not literally human flesh. And then they answer no on the question. It's like, well, that doesn't mean what what everyone thinks it means.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that that's the thing is, like, even Catholics who are very, would, would otherwise describe themselves as profoundly orthodox get this wrong, right? I've been on radio shows, of course, and TV shows. Not this one, I should say, which is the best. But <laughs> oh, I've been you. on... I've been on those shows where they've been like, oh man, if if we could only show people what's really happening during the Eucharist, like if we could show them a Eucharistic miracle and say, this is secretly what's happening during transubstantiation, then everyone would believe. And I was like, no, no, no. That's the whole point of transubstantiation. It's the Eucharistic miracles are a secondary miracle inviting us to recognize the personal presence of our Lord. But... But the whole point of transubstantiation is that, that what looks like bread and wine really still matters that it looks like bread and wine. God feeds us with his very presence within himself in a way that we can receive it. I don't eat human flesh. I don't drink blood. Um, I do eat bread. I do drink wine. And in that, our Lord feeds us in a way I can receive it. So the, tra- tra- the subtlety of transubstantiation is so beautiful. The church wants God to be able to feed us or wants to understand what the Eucharist is in a way that recognizes this, the radicality of Jesus' words. This is my body and this is my blood, mm-hmm. but also in a way that we can receive it in light of the whole scriptural tradition, which matters, right? So getting this doctrine right is key if we're to evangelize in some ways because we can't just tell people, like, come to Mass and have human flesh and blood but that's not attractive.
0: Yeah, and it can actually end up, if someone tries it and misunderstands what to expect, it can actually lead them to really shut off to the idea of faith at all, or specifically the Catholic faith. Uh, I, I personally know someone who was very dear to me and was on a journey towards Catholicism, and in their lack of readiness or formation, they were at Mass on their own one time, and they went up to receive the Eucharist. And they, because of the way things had been talked about, they literally uh, went up expecting it to taste like human flesh and taste like human blood. And when it wasn't, they never went back to a Catholic Church again.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we have to use, I mean, the the gift of our Church is we have faith, we have reason, we have a 2,000-year theological tradition that makes sense of this. We cannot just use sound bites. We ha- we have to do the hard work. It's hard work, but it's worth it.
0: Amen. I totally agree. Um, and I love also. You know, you pointed out the words of Jesus at the Last Supper: "This is my body. This is my blood." And and I think there's so much power in anything Jesus says. You know, like He's the Word made flesh, and and it was through the Word that everything was made. Um, and and literally in the Genesis account of creation, you have Jesus, uh, God speaking. Things into existence, the word spoken, right, and and all of this kind of points to this idea that when God says something, it just is, and you don't have to like it, you don't have to believe in it, it just is. Now, it's better for you to believe in it because it just is. Either way, kind of like gravity, um, and and I just think that those words, when you contextualize who this man Jesus was at the Last Supper. And he says those words, it's like staggering. I mean, it really is like time stood still in that moment at this first instance of consecration. Um, it's, it's, it's really powerful stuff.
1: Yeah, he promises to dwell among us, right, to the end of the age. And this is how, uh, you know, linked to the whole history of the Passover, the whole history of God providing manna from heaven. Right, has chosen to dwell among us in this particular way until the end of time as an act of supreme love, right, of mm-hmm. dwelling, of presence. And so, yeah, I mean, that was St. Thomas's point. He didn't want to figure out. St. Thomas Aquinas, who is often credited with uh, transubstantiation, he wasn't interested in just philosophy for its own sake. He wanted to understand what Jesus meant when he said, This is my body and this is my blood. And he wanted to take Jesus as, at his word. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a stunning doctrine. It really, um, especially for those of us getting out of COVID, and a lot of us are coming back to churches, and maybe maybe we were away for a while, to, to come back and be in the presence of our Lord is everything.
0: So what can we do, you know, because there, there's so much in this book. If you're a theologian, you'll get something out of this book. If you're just a common, you know, pew sitter, you'll get something out of this book. Um, like, what what do you think there is if if you are that person, uh, what what uh, what could be a next step as you're trying to dive into a deeper understanding or a deeper faith in the Eucharist?
1: Yeah, the Eucharist is in some sense a doorway that has as many entrances as possible. Right, there's art, poetry, literature, music, the devotional life and prayer. There's the The lives of the mystics. There's the lives of the theologians who've spoken about the Eucharist. There's sacred scripture. What I would say is find a doorway in to understand more deeply. If it's the poetry of a poet you love, start there. If it's altar pieces and art, start there. If it's your favorite sort of worship music, start there. But start somewhere. Uh, And I think the gift of the church is that while the doctrine is key, and we should understand it, and maybe. Uh, my, I think my book does some dimension of helping us understand that we we have to then dive more deeply into the whole tradition into the saints and to really start to understand the whole Eucharistic um, treasury of the church. They, they, if we think about it as a treasury, it's something, it, it's the beautiful gems, the, the poets and the artists, the, the authors, the thinkers, the lovers, the Eucharistic lovers that, that we can learn from.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, and and that to me is is if if you're not developing a personal relationship with the Eucharistic Lord, uh, the Eucharistic Jesus, like you're really not understanding what the point is to the Eucharist, and and I think that that is, you know, partially this is at, at the fault of kind of decades of terrible sacramental preparation where the sacraments just kind of become these milestone moments and, you know, these rites of passage and whatever, um, and almost secularized in a sense. Like I remember, for me, my first Holy Communion, I I was totally oblivious to the fact that I was literally receiving divinity. Uh, you know, the God of the universe. You know, the one who created and saved me. Like I, I had no idea. I was in second grade. I was probably more interested in like what video game was I going to play when I got home or what toy, um, and and I just think that we can in our lives, even as adults, uh, we can understand like oh yeah that's god and i'm receiving him it's a sacrament yippity skipping freaking doodah like we we might not understand the gravity that you know oh i wish i could have been around when jesus was walking around well like you're around now when jesus is here now still physically you know uh like he's here in the sacrament like it's almost just as profound <laughs> like it's it's huge and and he's waiting for you in the tabernacle like he's waiting for you to just come be with him he's waiting for you to come to mass and receive him um and if and it's that relationship that if we aren't cultivating that intentionally uh we're really missing out on a huge part of the christian walk
1: yeah absolutely i think that's the key really to the end is you know find an extra if you want to start this and start falling in love in this way Pick a, an extra day, one, one day per week if you can, to go to mass, uh, do a daily mass, uh, find 30 minutes to, to, to be in the presence of the tabernacle, 30 minutes or an hour or whatever you have, 15 minutes, uh, cross yourself when you uh, pass by your local parish church, mm. understand that you're meeting a person and it's not an idea or a thought, and it's a person who wants you to spend time with him. And so start small and you may find your way there.
0: Yes, that is great advice. I love that. Was there anything, as you were developing this book, was there anything that you found yourself kind of going deeper on a personal level?
1: Yeah, I would say that um, one of the things that uh, personally for me was just this whole book was written during COVID Mm -hmm. and particularly during the times in which there were not public masses for the most part. I think I finished the book... uh, a couple of days after Pentecost, so I had perhaps just come back to Mass. Uh, that was the first day our diocese was open, and I think for me, desire uh, for the Eucharist was key, and and remembering desire. I think all of us, uh, e- even those of us who are devout Catholics who really understand the gravity of the Eucharist, can by mundaneness of routine forget the the gift of what we're receiving. So it was a it was a for me as I was writing, I was like, oh. I'm relearning a desire to receive Jesus mm. um, and to become like him, to receive him, to become him, to become like him, to long for Sunday mass. So, so I, I think in a lot of ways it was a transformative book for me personally uh, because it brought me back to that original Eucharistic amazement that I had when I was seven or eight and that I had lost by not, uh, not, not sort of pure sinfulness. It wasn't like, you know, I was, uh, I'm engaged in like killing of puppies and uh, (laughs) mafia sort of racketeering. Uh, You know, I go to mass regularly, but but that, you know, it's important sometimes to take a retreat and to have desire again for the beloved. And I think that's kind of what COVID was for me and the book personally brought me back to that desire for the beloved.
0: That's beautiful. Man, that's that's so beautiful. It's something to strive for. Uh, and, you know, you heard from Tim earlier there, folks, that just start small, you know, find 30 minutes out of your week that you can go spend time with the Lord as you're passing a Catholic church, do the sign of the cross, acknowledging that Jesus is there. Um, Tim, where can people find you? I saw you got a Twitter account. Are you active there?
1: I'm active, though. You'll find very little, lust like, intelligent conversation, just children... <laughs> Uh, funny things my children do and uh, reacting to Notre Dame sports events. So. Okay,
0: where would you like people to find you?
1: No, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Timothy P O'Malley. You can email me at t at nd.edu. You can find me uh, on uh, at Notre Dame's website and other places. I'm 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 available uh, and open to chatting. If you want to email me or give me a phone call, I, I'll I'll even call you back. Ooh. I know how to use a phone. I know, yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I, I can't text, but I can actually call. So.
0: Brilliant. Uh, well, folks, I highly, highly recommend checking out Real Presence, What Does It Mean and Why Does It Matter by Timothy P. O'Malley. Uh, it's got something in it for everyone. It is deep. It's profound, but it's also accessible. Uh, and the man himself has made himself accessible. He just gave you his email address. So, I mean, gosh, it doesn't get better than that. Timothy, thank you for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate your time and, and having this discussion. We're, we're here in the midst of our official, unofficial Eucharistic Renaissance at Awaken Catholic, and uh, couldn't be happier that we made this topic and your book a part of that journey. So thanks for joining us today, Tim.
1: Oh yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great.
0: Brilliant. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, if you want to support the work of this show uh, and be join the patron community for the show called Community of Saints and get all kinds of exclusive perks and benefits, including a daily scripture reflection, and some prayer time, and some fun with yours truly, then visit theawakencatholicshow.com uh, to get in on that action today. Um, and also, it, you know, that's one of the many ways in which you can join, you can contribute to the Kickstart, the mission campaign here at Awakened Catholic. Uh, there's also a number of other patron communities you can join that also contribute to the kickstart the mission campaign or just a one-time gift whatever you can do we have passed the 50 percent mark help us get to the finish line visit awakencatholic.org uh, to help us with that and uh it's been awesome having timothy uh tim here on the show uh and i have been nick Delatore. this has been the awaken catholic show before you go i just need you to know that jesus loves you